please join me in the prayer for guidance. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with glad hearts what you say to us today. Amen. I am going to be reading from the Life Application Bible today, Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. So, okay. The Believer's Prayer. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you have made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The king of the earth take their stands and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miracle, miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Millie. We are in a uh, sermon series in the book of Acts, and uh, I sometimes on Memorial Day, I dedicate the whole sermon towards the idea of Memorial Day and, and uh, how we see uh, evidence in Scripture of the importance of people being willing to sacrifice for each other. What we have today is, is a passage of Scripture that is testimony to the strength of the early Christians, their courage in facing great opposition to their preaching and yet their faith in God carried them through. And just so you have a little bit of context for where we are uh, as we go into Acts 4, uh, Peter and John have just performed a miracle. A man who had been unable to walk since birth uh, uh, rose up and walked. Not only walked, but it says he went leaping and running and praising God. And uh, obviously, this was a spectacular thing to have happen. He was over 40 years of age, uh, the scriptures tell us. Many people have been used to him being there, uh, perhaps for many years, at the uh, gate called Beautiful uh, at the temple. And so, uh, to see this man, who they only knew as someone, as a beggar, uh, to suddenly be blessed in this way and healed in this way, was terrific testimony. So, uh, it tells us that uh, on the first day of uh, uh, Pentecost, 3,000 uh, believe in Jesus, place their faith in him, and are baptized. And now it tells us another 5,000 are added to their number. So the church is growing, uh, but what is uh, spectacular here to me in verse 4 is the, is the faith and the courage of these people. 
And the fact that is that many times we read Acts, as we go through Acts, we will see where there, people are selling things in order, uh, properties and all, to share the proceeds with the people who have very little, that all, people have all things in common, that daily they are gathering together for prayer and for breaking of the bread, uh, that they are a church that in many ways is that ideal image of what we wish the church could be. And so the question comes up in our 21st century uh, context, is that even possible? What are the things that keep us from having that kind of courage and faith and, and, and belief and faith in prayer? Uh, what are the things that are keeping us from having that kind of, uh, of faith in Jesus Christ today? And so we'll talk about a little bit about that in, in a moment. Uh, I did want to just share with you uh, a... Uh, and, and we're really going to look at prayer will be will be a big focus, but share with you a, a memory from my childhood. Uh, I have a, uh, a lot of memories uh, as, as a child. I, I, hear, I talk to some folks and they, they can't remember a whole lot. I remember a whole lot early on uh, as a child, but this particular story, I was nine years old and uh, I had a good friend, Eddie Sipes. And Eddie and I had the great idea one, one day, uh, Garfield High School was just a couple of blocks down the hill from where Eddie and I lived. He lived across the street from me. And uh, we had the great idea one Saturday morning that we would go over to the stadium where they had had a game the previous night, and we would go under the stands, and we would search for Coke bottles. Uh, back then, you know, the refreshment stands, they, you just got a Coke bottle. They would hand them to you. Uh, and so we thought we can take those and we can take them down to the Flying A gas station. It was a Sinclair uh, gas station. And we'll take them down there and get the two-cent deposit back on them. So we had a little enterprise going there. Uh, you know, we were little Donald Trumps at the time trying to do our best. But as you'll see in a minute, we weren't exactly Donald Trump. Uh, so we go down there and, and we go through the weeds and the, uh, and the trash underneath uh, that stadium, and uh, we start finding these bottles, and we had taken a, a wagon, the proverbial little red wagon with us, and we were filling that thing up with bottles, and, and we had we had several dozen bottles by the time we were done. We were excited. We were going to make, you know, if you took like 36, and, and that would be 18 for me times 2 cents, that would be 36 cents. That was a lot of money for me at, at nine years of age. So we took them on down. Uh, the Sinclair uh, uh, gas station was right there on Route 1, uh, very close by. And we, we pull our wagon up, and the owner of the gas station is there, and he comes out. And he says, well, where'd you get all these bottles? And we said, well, at the, at the stadium. We got them from underneath from the game last night. And he said, well, I'm sure most of those bottles came from my gas station, so, uh, so give them to me. Uh, they're mine. And he didn't pay us anything for them. Now, several things come to mind thinking back on that memory, and at the time, we were intimidated. That's where we weren't Donald Trump. Nothing seems to intimidate him, you know. Uh, we should have given him a good tongue lashing, you know. But, you know, we were nice boys, and so we kind of, you know, emptied our wagon out, gave him the bottles, and left. And uh, thinking back, I think, how could a grown man be so mean <laughs> to a couple of boys? I mean, you would have thought he would seem, well, good for these boys. They're out here working, trying to make some money, but no. Uh, I'm sure what he did was probably illegal too. I don't think it mattered where those were bought. If you brought them back, you get the two cents, right? I have a good mind to look up that owner, see if 
He's probably not around anymore, but his kids, I can bring a lawsuit, sue them for, sue them for years of mental suffering. But that's one of the things I want to say about prayer when I think about prayer is that a lot of us sort of, I think, uh, we talk about, well, people are going to God all the time saying, give me this, give me that. The problem is I think a lot of people don't go to God in prayer. And part of it may be because our image of God is he's kind of like that gas station owner. You know, we bring a wagon load of prayer requests to them, but we never see them answered the way we want them to be answered. And so we get tired of it and frustrated with it because we don't understand what prayer is really all about. And these first century Christians here, I believe that they very much understood what prayer is all about. And we'll see it here, and I'm going to just uh, uh, guide us through this for a minute. Um, prayer uh, is, is not uh, instructing God on how you want your life to go, therefore God must now prepare your life and prepare your way so it will meet your needs. Would any of you, if you needed a new laptop computer, would you call up Hewlett Packard and say, listen, give me the address for your factory. I would like to come down there tomorrow and I would like to tell the engineers and the production department how to create my laptop. You wouldn't do that, would you? Because you realize we're not that smart. That's why you have engineers. That's why you have the production people. They know what they're doing, so you trust them in that. All you say is, I'll take a laptop. (laughs) You know, I don't do it when I go through the drive-in at Wendy's. I don't say, let me come in there and tell you how to arrange my salad, you know, or where to put the pickle on the hamburger, whatever. I don't do that. But we do that with God, and what's incredible when you stop and think about that is God is so far above us. No human being, as far as I know, has ever created an ocean, a planet, an extra square inch of space in the universe. God has done all this and more. And yet we have the audacity to say, Dear Lord, I'd like to tell you how I want life to go. You know, If you think back on your life, there have been many times where there were things that you wish you didn't have to do, but because you did them. You may have prayed, God, get me out of this. But because you had to go through it, you became a stronger person for it, right? A very simple thing. I was thinking the other day we were camping. We we did an overnight camp out with Mark so he could have that great experience. And... uh, and you know now, uh, sleeping bags and tents, they have stuff bags. And the way you, you don't roll these things up anymore, you just stuff them in the bag and they fit down in there. That's the way you do it. Now, when I was a Boy Scout, we had these canvas, heavy canvas tents. You know, the ones that would get mold if you didn't set them out to dry after you were camping and everything like that. And I can remember how hard it was to roll those things back up. You had to fold them in thirds. You get, you get somebody on one end and you, you're pressing the air out and you're getting that thing as tight as you can and rolling that thing down so that at the end, hopefully, it's going to fit into that bag. And the other day, I was thinking, man, it is so easy today. I'm glad I'm around to see how easy it is today. But then I felt sorry for Mark because he didn't have the experience to learn that sometimes in life, 
you have to start out on the right foot. You have to start out doing it the right thing because the problem on those tents was you could, down the road of rolling them, you could suddenly say, wow, this isn't going to be tight enough because you didn't start out tight. And so I I was thinking about how as much as I hated doing that, over time it taught me a little bit of a lesson in life that when you start a project, it matters how you begin. That you can't just say, well, later on I'll correct everything. Start it right, keep it right, finish it right, it'll fit in the back. That seems like a really small illustration now that I tell that to you. But I think it applies into many things in life that we may find unpleasant but they taught you something over time. Because my mom made me wash dishes as a child when I got married to Lydia, and when she kindly requested that I wash the dishes, except for a few little adjustments I had to make to do it correctly, as she taught me, I pretty much knew how to wash dishes. So that's the first thing I want to say is... We really mess prayer up when we make it just a laundry list of instructions to God to say, this is how I want things to go. And then when it doesn't go that way, we get disappointed, we give up on prayer and say, what's the worth? Uh, These people knew what prayer was about, and they knew the value of prayer. Uh, If we go into Acts chapter 4, Peter and John have been released. Uh, Oddly enough, they they, uh, heal somebody in the name of Jesus Christ, and they get thrown into jail for it. You know, uh, have you ever heard of a doctor or a dentist or anybody getting thrown in jail for helping somebody? But, but the thing was, what the leaders saw was a threat to power, religious power, political power. And so the healing may have been nice, but the really important thing to them here was that the crowd was beginning to be pulled away from their teachings and their authority and toward Jesus of Nazareth the person who they thought they had gotten rid of when they put him on that cross. But he just won't go away. So it says, after Peter and John were released from prison, they returned to the brothers and sisters. Isn't that nice the way it's just said? To the brothers and sisters. That's, that's the Christians. That's the church people. They're brothers and sisters. Uh, when, I, when I was a kid, did anybody attend a church where everybody was brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so? That's the kind of church I went to. You never forgot. So if I, if I, if I saw, uh, you know, Brother Brian or I saw uh, uh, Brother Dave or whatever, you know, that's what you called them. You know, the adults did. <laughs> the children, we called them Mr. and Mrs. But, you know, all the adults, it was brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so. Not just the pastor, but everybody. Brothers and sisters, they reported everything that the chief priests and elders had said. And the people, these brothers and sisters, listened to Peter and John, and then they lifted their voices in unison to God. Isn't that interesting? The first thing that they think of is prayer. When we get a report, you know, on anything in the church, in the church council or whatever, is our first instinct to raise our voices to God? Or is it to share our human wisdom? and insights, and impress with each other with how much we know. And then at the end say, oh, by the way, we didn't pray. We need to pray. That happens a lot. And I believe that part of that, I know that I'm always getting on our culture, but part of that is from our culture because increasingly our culture has moved prayer out of the center point, And because we as Christians are so undisciplined, 
we allow the culture to shape our prayer life. Uh, I have, I have uh, for years done, uh, I, I, I pray silently in the morning and then at noon and then in the evening. Before I go to sleep or as I'm laying there going to sleep, I talk to God. That's not really the best way to do it. John Wesley would get on a board. They actually have this in a museum in England. It's his praying board where he would kneel on it, and you can see the impressions of his knees into this piece of wood where he would kneel down and pray because every day he began with a couple hours of prayer. He didn't think you should go out into the day without prayer. But the discipline I've developed is to have a different sort of prayer at each time of the day, one where there is emphasis on on uh, on Thanksgiving and 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 just thanking God for things. One uh, where I'm asking God to uh, bless certain people or bringing up people, and then the other when I'm uh, when I this is my uh, early in the morning prayer when I'm saying, Lord, give me the strength to get out of this bed. You know, prayers for strength. Uh, you know, so I kind of have this pattern that I've had over the years. But most of us, you know. We're undisciplined, and I'm undisciplined in many ways, but at least that's something I've been able to rely on that I have regular prayer going. So it says that they lifted their voices in unison to God. Now, what exactly does that mean? Does it mean that somebody had written down a prayer or there was a prayer up on the screen and it was a unison prayer? That's what we call unison prayers. In Korea, I had the experience of unison prayer that I think I shared with y'all when I came back from Korea, uh, South Korea, not North Korea, South Korea, that uh, uh, the people would gather uh, very early in the morning. I'm trying to remember the time. I was so asleep I couldn't remember. It was uh, it was maybe four, four, I don't know. I was, I, I was the only person out of the several thousand people in this church, uh, me and my roommate Norm, who's, by the way, going to be the new pastor at St. Paul's up here. Uh, but Norm and I, would, we would be late. <laughs> and no Koreans, are, they are not late for anything. And we'd come in there thinking people would just kind of, you know, drag in over time. And boy, the first day we came in, and it's like 3,000 eyes turned around and stared at us, you know. But anyways, they pray in unison by everybody praying out loud at the same time. That was an interesting experience to hear several thousand voices all raised at the same time. And they'll pray for about 30 minutes like that. And then they have a sermon. Every day the preacher has to preach. And then they have some song. And then they leave and they go about their days. They do that every day of the week. So I think it was more like that. But somebody is praying here because we have these precise words. So praying in unison to God, but maybe it just means that their hearts were in unison. But here's what it says, Master or Sovereign Lord in some some translations, uh, meaning you are the one in control, nobody else is in control. No matter what politicians say, no no matter what the leaders of nations say, you are the one because you created the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. You are the one who spoke by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, who said, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Now, here's an interesting thing about that word rage there. The word that, word that is used for rage for the nations, why do the nations rage, is the same word that they would use for horses that were rearing back, you know, uh, under the reins of a chariot. You know, you, you, you would see the horses would rear back and the, and the legs are going out like this, threatening. 
They're saying, why are, why are the nations raging like a horse under the control of reins, thinking that somehow they can accomplish things? Do they not understand who holds the reins? Do they not understand the one who already knows who has out? Uh, listen to this. For the one who spoke by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage, the nations rage, and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth stood there, took their stand, and the rulers gathered together as one against the Lord and against his Christ. And, so, and then they bring out the particular names. Herod, who is a political king. Pontius Pilate, who is uh, the military strength and the governor uh, with the uh, with the Romans and with the Israelites, with the Gentiles and with the believers. In other words, all the forces came together. They gathered in the city against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and plan had already determined would happen. They thought that they were brilliant. They thought they had a plan. They thought they would get rid of Jesus. But in the end, all they did was accomplish what you had already planned because your son came to this earth to do what? To seek and to save the lost and to die as a propitiation for our sins as payment for our sins. They thought they were in control. Folks, our, our, our leaders today think that somehow they can save this earth. They think that somehow uh, through programs and through negotiations and through alliances and agreements that the world will be saved. But the history of humanity has demonstrated that we have a propensity for continually messing things up because the Bible tells us we are fallen sinners. And our only hope and our only light is in Jesus Christ. And I know there are a lot of people in a lot of churches, a lot of denominations out there working to make the world a better place. And I'm for that. I'm for a better place for us to live in in this life, but I'm much more concerned about the people who don't know Jesus Christ and who won't have an eternal home with him. Why are we so worried about this? Believe me, I'm not saying don't care for the earth. Lydia and I are recyclers. You know, I just dropped the batteries in the recycling place the other day. You know, we we try to do things. Uh, We don't want to mess up the place, the beautiful place that God gave us. But that isn't my main purpose in my life. My main purpose in life, as it was in the early church, should be to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it says, they did what your power and plan had already determined would happen. Now, Lord, take note of their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with complete confidence. So this is their prayer. It isn't, Lord, keep us out of jail. It isn't, Lord, keep us from persecution. They were facing these things. But what is their prayer? Lord, give us the power, the courage, the confidence to do your will, to speak your word. Stretch out your hand to bring healing and enable signs and wonders to be performed through the name of Jesus, your holy servant. Why? Because those will give witness to who he is and people will believe. And after they prayed, that's the end of their prayers. Nothing about, by the way, I'd like a new car. Nothing about, I'd like a new new husband. None of those things are there. It says, after they prayed, the place where they gathered was shaken. Wouldn't it be great to be in a place that was shaken by prayer, by God's Holy Spirit? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking God's word with confidence. What the church needs today is not 
all the brilliant ideas I hear about every day that come across my email from companies that have, have all the answers on how to grow the church. What the church needs today is a prayer life that asks for God to give us the courage and the confidence to proclaim and share the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why the church grew. The other thing that they really believed, and we have to understand this in their context, they believed Jesus was coming. In the early church, they really were, they were part of the movement of God towards the end of, of, of time and God's eternal kingdom coming fully, uh, fully revealed. They believed that. And you say, well, that, you know, but it didn't happen, did it? What, what are you talking about? Well, it's been 2,000 years. What's 1,000 years to the Lord? What should it be to us? Our expectation is still that Jesus Christ is coming. Our expectation is that it could be any time, any day, any moment. And that drove them because they knew that time was limited. And I tell you, every person who you've ever known in your, in your life has a limited expiration date on their life and their opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that church believed that, that church asked God for the courage to proclaim that word because they loved the people who Jesus loved, the lost, and those in need of a a Savior and a light in this life. And so if we're going to pray, first and above all, let's pray that the will of God would be accomplished in our lives and that we would be faithful servants of the gospel and that we would have the courage to go out and to stand for that gospel and the truth of God's word. Let's pray that uh, he would shake this place. I am limited by time, but God is not limited by time. And I pray this day that we will believe in the God who is coming again. And in that belief, we would commit ourselves to be devoted to this church, to his kingdom, Above all, to his son, Jesus Christ, who lives in each and every one of us, and his spirit is here this morning. Amen. A couple of quick things about this song. If you notice the pattern, it begins with the eternal Father, then O Savior, then O Holy Spirit, and the fourth verse is O Trinity of love. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity, every, every, every aspect of God invoked in this. Also, I heard it being played on the organ at uh, Harry and uh, Meghan Markle's wedding. So in the background, they were playing it on, on there. So anyways, and of course, he was a military guy there in England. A great song and a great thing to remember for all those who serve on air, land, and sea today. Uh, as we go forth, may the Holy Spirit guide you. May he, uh, in all things, protect and especially give you the strength and the courage to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those who are your neighbors, your friends, your family. And as we go forth, may we especially remember on this day those who have served, those who have died, those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. And amen.